1: Welcome to Money for the Rest of Us. This is a personal finance show on money, how it works, how to invest it, and how to live without worrying about it. I'm your host, David Stein. Today is episode 341. It's titled, How to Overcome Investing Fears. I recently got an email from a member of Money for the Rest of Us Plus. He's a lifetime member. He's a 46-year-old engineer. He's been happily married for 20 years. They have two sons, ages 7 and 10. He writes, through many years of hard work, frugality, and calculated risk, we've accumulated a net worth of $1.9 million. Most of our net worth came from investing in rental real estate duplexes in 2012, as well as some stock index investing. They earn about $160,000 per year and live on less than half of that. Right now, their asset mix is 40% private real estate, 13% in stocks, and 47% in cash. And it's the large amount of cash that is bothering him. He writes, We have been grossly underinvested for several years now. We recently sold our primary home and now have a great deal of cash. We live and work overseas and have no need to purchase another primary home. All investments seem to be overvalued, including stocks, bonds, real estate, gold, and crypto. As you say, we need to take risk." We need to earn a positive, real return to save for retirement. I've been waiting for a correction in stocks or real estate for several years, since 2014, and don't want to continue to wait indefinitely because I understand the inflationary cost of holding cash. I also don't want to be the person that buys at the top of the market and regrets purchasing overvalued assets. Unfortunately, I was not able to enter the market during the March 2020 crash because I was convinced the market was headed much lower. He then outlines their plan and dilemma. Rental real estate has been good to us, and I would love to buy several more rental duplexes. I feel that a real estate and stock market correction crash may be right around the corner, which would allow us to make significant long-term investments at attractive prices. I've always lived by the motto, be greedy when others are fearful, and be fearful when others are greedy. On the other side of the coin, I have a fear of missing out. What if the stock market continues to climb for several more years as I sit on the sidelines waiting for a good entry point while our family nest egg of cash is slowly degraded by inflation? What would you advise a trusted friend to do in this situation? i thought a lot about his email in the last day or so, and there are seven things that I would tell him to do, or a trusted friend, as he put it. Now, this shouldn't be taken as investment advice to him or to others, but these are my thoughts on the matter. First, acknowledge the fear. As you look at his email, there's a lot of emotion there. He mentioned the fear of missing out. There's the fear of looking stupid because he might buy in an expensive market and stocks could fall. There's the fear of losses. There's the fear of not getting the timing right. And the reality is those fears get larger as our net worth grows. Mistakes, losses become more meaningful because the dollar amounts are larger. Our fear grows as we've lived through more market cycles. If you lived through the 2008 financial crisis and were investing in that time, that was a scary, scary time. And we remember those fears. Some people seem to be fearless, but I would argue that that tends to be a naive view of markets. Those that believe that markets never go down or they'll always be okay. I think that there's a right balance. Fear can be good. My son Brett sent me an article by Dharmavidya David Brazier titled, The Gift of Fear. It was in Tricycle, an online journal. Razor wrote, clearly there is a range within which fear puts us on our toes and brings out our best. When there is too little, we become complacent, bored, and lazy. When there is too much, we become paralyzed. He found when he first began public speaking that he would sweat and shake and couldn't really get the words out. He was very, very nervous. And he found the best thing to do was to tell his audience how nervous he was. And surprisingly, that actually relaxed him a little bit to be able to give his speech. He wrote, From experiences like this, I realized that the venom that paralyzed me was not so much the fear as the pride that made me try to hide the fear, that wanted me to present myself as a master over my human nature. But when I could be natural and share how I was feeling, a bond was established with the audience. Fear can connect people. We have to acknowledge our fear. It's not going away recognize it. Seth Godin points out that the only way to get rid of fear is to stop doing things that might not work, to stop putting yourself out there, to stop doing work that matters. He says the right question is how to dance with fear. How do we invest and use fear to our advantage so it doesn't paralyze us, but the presence of fear keeps us from doing rash things, and suffering catastrophic losses. When I was six or seven, I signed up for swimming lessons at our community pool. I was terrified of the water. To pass the class, you had to jump off the diving board, the high board, and swim across the 10 foot. I was paralyzed with fear. I would jump on my instructor from the side of the pool because I didn't want to get in the water. I was that terrified. And I flunked. Eventually, I learned to get into the water a little bit at a time and overcome the fear. This member and listener and others, because I've seen this repeatedly, when we are waiting for the stock market to crash or the real estate market to crash, we're waiting for the water to be perfect. It's a way to run away from our fears because we're so fearful of making a mistake, of losing money, that we just don't want to get in The investing waters at all. But the investing waters are rarely perfect. The last time investing markets were extremely attractive, where, in my mind, investment conditions were close to perfect. Very low valuations. The economy was improving. Market internals were attractive because the level of fear was high. Trend and momentum was accelerating. That was in early 2009 right after the great financial crisis. And yet, many investors were terrified and never did enter the investment markets again. But had you begun investing at that time, you were richly rewarded. The time before that was in early 2003, but not since then. Markets were attractive a year ago. Valuations were lower. Return expectations were higher. But we were facing an unprecedented pandemic, something most of us in our lifetime had never faced as investors. So we didn't have a pattern that would allow us to feel confident jumping in right away. It was a time to take incremental risk when things started to improve. And that's certainly what I did in my investing. It's what we did on money for the rest of us plus, not knowing whether we were at the bottom yet. We couldn't know. So the first thing is to acknowledge the fear. It's not going away. It can help us by keeping us from doing rash things. The second thing we can do is to know what the investing waters are like. What are reasonable expectations? Last month, we completed our semi-annual review of asset categories and came up with new estimates of the 10-year expected nominal annualized returns for 33 different asset classes. We have models based on those that you can use to build out an asset mix. We have templates you can use to figure out the expected return and risk of your existing portfolio. They are based on principles, the building blocks that I've discussed numerous times on the show, cash flow, what's the income stream, the dividend yield, the interest income, Is the cash flow growing and by how much? And what are investors paying for that cash flow? It was somewhat of a discouraging exercise because in the past six months compared to last October, dividend yields are down significantly and valuations for many asset classes, including stocks, are very, very high. And as a result, the return expectations are low. A year ago, the 10-year expected annualized return for global stocks was 7.1% with a range of 4% to 11%. Since then, global stocks have appreciated over 50%. And now the expected return is 4.6% with a range of 1.3% to 8.4%. Why? Because dividend yields are much lower, 1.7%, and valuations are very, very expensive. The PE for global stocks is 29.8. And if we believe that valuations will stay that high and won't change at all, then we can expect returns of close to 8% annualized over the next decade as returns will be driven by the dividend and the dividend growth. But if valuations are going to fall, and for our assumptions, we assume they're going to fall to 22 from 298 A price-to-earnings ratio of 22 is still well above the historical average for global stocks. But the P.E. falling would reduce the annualized expected return by about 3 percentage points. So significantly lowering returns. We have no assurity what the returns will be. Earnings growth could come in higher. Valuations could stay high. But going through the exercise of estimating returns or understanding What drives the returns can help us overcome the fear because our expectations aren't unrealistic, but they're not catastrophic either. If we know what the water temperature is, it's easier to make a more rational choice. I don't think we should invest waiting for the next market crash because we have no idea when that will be. But if we go in with a reasonable assumption that stocks should appreciate, about 5% per year over the next decade. Recognize sometimes it'll go higher than that. Sometimes it could be much lower. But if that's a reasonable expectation, a reasonable expectation is not a market crash being imminent. Otherwise, we're just going to keep waiting around. The third thing we can do is use a bucket approach. A bucket approach is where you have different mental buckets for different asset classes. Or they could be real buckets in terms of different accounts. These buckets could be based on different risk metrics. We could have a speculative bucket. We could have a a stock bucket. Or the buckets could be based on different time horizons. There could be a bucket for our short-term expenses. For example, LePron and I keep our living expenses for the next year in cash, in a checking account. We're comfortable with that because we know it's there. And that allows us to be a little more aggressive in other areas of our investing. Some retirees might have a bucket with living expenses for the next three to five years and invest that in a certain way and then have a bucket and an asset allocation for their longer term. Still, overall, this is just one asset mix, but having these buckets helps us manage our fear. I think one of the challenges that this member is facing is much of the cash that they have came from selling a house, their primary residence. And I suspect the cash from selling the house is in a different mental bucket than their bucket for holding stocks. And so moving the cash into the stock market could be very difficult for them. We're facing the same thing. We own 40 acres of farm ground that is under contract. And we own a note, the mortgage, on the rest of the farm which is also under contract. So we're going to get a big lump sum of cash here in the next month. This was in a specific bucket of mine, fairly low risk. I'm not going to be able to just move that into stocks or cryptocurrencies. Before we continue, let me pause and share some words from this week's sponsors. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. With everything getting more expensive these days, it's wise to find ways to cut costs and boost performance at the same time. You can do that with NetSuite, and by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com David. That's NetSuite.com David. NetSuite.com David.
0: That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe.
1: seven different buckets, which have about 15 percentage points in each. I have a stock bucket. I have an income strategy bucket, which is equity REITs, preferred stock, put writing strategies. I have a speculative bucket of gold and cryptocurrencies, which is about 13% of my net worth. 15% is in private real estate where there's no day-to-day volatility. I like that because it allows me to feel more comfortable taking volatility risk in speculative assets. About 12% in private capital, private equity, venture capital. There's also no volatility there day to day. 14% in bonds and cash, and then 15% in asset-based lending, where we're collecting interest and principal payments on money that we've lent out that's secured by real estate. There are no perfect asset mixes, but that's kind of how our buckets have developed over time. Having that bucket approach, different mental accounts for different assets can help us manage the fear. The fourth thing we can do is to automate. I got an email a month or so ago from a listener that wrote he was also paralyzed, a bit stuck. He wrote, with the extraordinary valuations, geopolitical drama, domestic political drama, student loan freezes, housing value spikes, I've been transferring $2,000 into my brokerage account each month and doing nothing with it. My emotions have locked me up. He was looking for some automated solutions. And they're available, where you can choose an allocation target And cash is invested automatically according to that target. And cash can be transferred over automatically. Vanguard Digital Advisors is one option. They charge 0.15% per year. Very low expenses. It's invested in a few different ETFs. Very straightforward. Schwab Intelligent Portfolios, very similar. No asset management fee. It's invested in a number of different Schwab ETFs. A lot of listeners use Betterment, which is similar. They have an automated investment plan. Once you choose your target, they can help you do that. Having the money invested automatically so where you're not having to make a decision and deciding is now the time can be very helpful. The fifth thing then is to make incremental changes as your knowledge grows. We don't have to get in the pool all at once. I'm not as afraid of swimming as I used to be. But I really hate cold water. Some people just jump right in, get it over with. That's not me. Little bit at a time till I get used to the temperature. We can do the same with investing. If you have a lump sum, like this lump sum we're going to get when we sell our farm property, I won't be able to invest it all at once. Each of us needs to decide the chunk of assets that we're most comfortable investing. The dollar amount that we feel the most comfortable investing at any point in time. A couple of weeks ago, we discussed cryptocurrency lending and BlockFi. I went ahead and opened up an account and allocated a lump sum that I felt comfortable with if I lost it all. And we each need to figure out, well, what is that optimal value that we're willing to invest at any one time? And then we can incrementally invest that amount. As we explore different asset classes, as we learn more, as our knowledge grows, this incremental approach helps us to manage regret. So we're not feeling like we put it all in and then the market fell 15% and we feel bad. Little by little helps us with that regret management. A sixth thing we can do is get a second opinion. That's what this member is seeking. He said he thought about writing me over a six-month period and finally did it. Now I'm sharing my thoughts. We can hire a financial advisor to get their opinion on our asset allocation and on our retirement planning strategy. We can subscribe to a service like Money for the Rest of Us Plus, where we discuss aspects like this. We have portfolio building tools. There's a community, of forum where you can ask questions of other members. We can use online calculators to go through the analysis but sometimes getting feedback from qualified professionals and services can help us overcome the fear and manage the fear. And the final thing is to recognize that we will make mistakes. It's part of the journey, and mistakes can lead to rules of thumb to help us avoid mistakes in the future, to make the path easier. I've done a lot of traveling over the years, and as you travel, You develop rules of thumb. You realize how things work, even if you go to a brand new country. About five years ago, Brett and I went to Cuba. We had never been to Cuba. When the plane landed, we got off the plane. We got our luggage. Most airports tend to work the same. You get your luggage. You go through immigration. And then, oftentimes, it's complete chaos when you go outside the airport. But before we went, we went and got some cash and converted some of our dollars to Cuban pesos. We do that because I learned when we got stranded in Japan without cash that I should have gotten cash at the airport. We knew when we would go outside the airport that it would be a madhouse and everybody would be offering to give us a ride. So we took our time, realized it was going to come, walked a little ways to where things were calmer, found a taxi, and proceeded to our Airbnb in Havana. We overpaid for the taxi, we learned, but the process was easier because we'd done it before. In fact, we made a lot of mistakes that day. We way overspent for a box of cigars for my uncle because we ended up in the back room of somebody's house negotiating these cigars and I was too embarrassed not to go through with the purchase after having spent so much time on it. We learned that a lot of Cubans have side gigs. They have homemade museums that they want you to go visit that they say are free. And then they want to sell you something at the end or ask for a donation, which is perfectly appropriate. But after doing that several times, you realize we're going to run out of money going to homemade museums. But you make mistakes traveling. You learn from them. You develop rules of thumb. You make mistakes investing. It's part of the journey. One reason we make mistakes is because we can't accurately predict the future. All we have is these rules of thumb, and we have an understanding of the return drivers for different asset classes, understanding the difference between an investment where there's cash flow and a speculation where there's none. That's all we have. We don't know what's going to happen. Which is why we use these guardrails. We do invest incrementally so that we can keep our mistakes small. To this member, perhaps you do find another rental real estate project. It's it's something you know well, you've done it well. The valuations are what they are. The cap rates are low. But if you can find the, the right property and recognize the return will be lower than maybe you've earned back in 2012, it certainly will be lower. But it can still be an attractive investment if that's something you're comfortable with. Or if you decide to... Invest in other asset classes as you learn the drivers. But the conditions are what they are. With the economy improving globally around the world, yeah, markets might crash from here, but it seems unlikely. But it also means our return expectations should be much lower than they were a year ago because valuations are so much higher. So acknowledge the fear. It's not going away. Dance with the fear. Use it to your advantage because it keeps you from doing things that are rash, but you can't let it paralyze you. And you can keep it from paralyzing you by knowing what the investment waters are like, by having reasonable expectations and understanding where those expectations come from. Using a bucket approach, divide up your assets based on their role in in your life or the time horizon or your risk tolerance for that particular bucket. Automate as much as possible in order to invest incrementally over time. Use some of the technology tools that are available, some of the robo-advisors. Make incremental changes as your knowledge grows. Figure out the ideal trade amount that you're comfortable putting in a new asset class. Get a second opinion. Subscribe to a service. Listen to other podcasts. Hire an advisor to help you get more peace of mind. And finally, recognize you'll make mistakes and learn from those mistakes because that is just part of your financial journey. That's episode 341. Thanks for listening to the episode. If you would like to learn more about investing, there's two ways I can help. First, consider signing up for my weekly email newsletters, the Insider's Guide, it's where I'll share with you the links to that week's podcast episode and introduction on what the show's about. An Essay on Money, Investing in the Economy, and Other Valuable Resources. It's released the day the podcast is released, and you can sign up for that newsletter at moneyfortherestofus.com. A second way I can help you become a better investor is by you becoming a member of Money for the Rest of Us Plus. This isn't community of serious-minded investors seeking to build out institutional quality investment portfolios to help them reach their retirement goal, or if they are already retired, to manage their assets in retirement. There are portfolio-building tools, video lessons on different asset classes. There are asset allocation models to help you build out an asset mix. There are model portfolios to jumpstart your investing so you can look at specific ETFs and funds. There's a member forum so you can interact with other members. And there's a premium podcast episode just for PLUS members where I answer questions from members on all aspects of investing. Go ahead and check out Money for the Rest of Us PLUS. We'd love to have you as a member of our community. You can learn more at MoneyForTheRestOfUs.com. Everything I've shared with you in this episode has been for general education. I've not considered your specific risk situation. I've not provided investment advice. This is simply general education on money, investing, and economy. Have a great week.